MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, May 18th, 2020. Today, a new batch of Mueller memos was released by BuzzFeed as part of their FOIA suit, another Friday night Inspector General firing. The FDA stops Bill Gates back coronavirus research. Proof the cupboards weren't bare when Trump took office. A prominent medical journal issues a rare call to vote Trump out of office. Trump pressures the Postal Service to raise rates. Loeffler hands documents over to the Department of Justice regarding her stock activity prior to the crash. Why Trump hates tests. The House demands Barr testify June 9th, and the Parnas and Fruman show is pushed to after the election. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. I forgot about Parnas and Fruman. It's been so long. <laughs> I know we haven't been doing the Fantasy Indictment League since Barr took over, and so uh, we haven't really been keeping up on them but uh basically I and mean, i'll go over this uh, a little bit later in the show but both sides asked to push this back to the end of next year due amid coronavirus concerns so the parnas and fruman trial uh, when i say the Par- parnas and fruman show that's that's what i mean that's going to be at the end of next year it looks like crazy well looking forward to it <laughs> yep uh, something to do uh when we have a better president mm-hmm. uh we uh we do have a very beefy show uh, today. Um, uh, first, uh, Jordan's going to go over the Mueller memos that uh, were released over the weekend. Uh, I'm Then I'm going to do an entire block of headlines that uh, sort of flew under the radar, under the coronavirus radar. We've got an interview with Glenn Kirshner later on. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Flynn case and the new Amicus Curies. Uh, curé, curi, I guess would be the plural. It's been 20 years since I took Latin. 25, 27 years. It's been a long time. Um, And it's been a dead language for thousands of years. So there we go. Uh, So yeah, we have all of that to squeeze in, plus a huge good news block and a lot of quarantine confessions. So we might as well uh, jump in with with the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, Jordan. So what did... uh, what did we find from the BuzzFeed FOIA lawsuit Mueller memos dump that we're probably going to be getting 302s from for the next 10 years? <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much stuff um, in in this. It's like very juicy. So I'm just going to start right into it and go through as much of it as I can. But definitely look it up on BuzzFeed. They have like summaries of the highlights and it's super easy to understand how they, they write it out and everything. But in each highlight there's there's like so many different examples of the behavior for example uh, that these people are talking about occurred so it's very juicy definitely check it out but i'll start off with uh just some some of the highlights so first highlight that buzzfeed talks about they talk about jared kushner uh, when he talked to them in these 302s, he explained the back channel meetings that happened with Sergey Kislyak. He told investigators the eight hour, the interview was eight hours long, by the way, which is fucking <laughs> incredibly long. He told investigators that former HBO chair Richard Plepler invited him to a Time Warner luncheon with Henry Kissinger and Dimitri Symes, 
who and he's the guy that ran a pro kremlin think tank in washington uh dc kushner told the fbi that he was pursuing symes when the trump campaign was quote having a hard time getting people to support them end quote uh (laughs) symes apparently tried to give kushner compromising info on bill clinton and hillary clinton's connections to russia but kushner told the investigators that quote he never got from symes information that could be operationalized end quote so i guess that's enough to make you not liable because it wasn't enticing enough to commit the crime so you reserved yourself and you're not a criminal (laughs) even though like the Mm. to me that reads if it was better information i definitely would have taken the bait and, and gone forward um, but, but he didn't. So yeah, and it, it, my memory of the law is that you know you just have to even have the intention to do so. Yeah. Or uh, you know, it's just it's so weird that nobody was ever charged with anything like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, he also went on to talk about Sergey Kislyak. He said that um, K- Kislyak said to Kushner, "We like what your candidate is saying. It's refreshing." And Kushner said that they discussed Syria and having the Russian generals brief national security advisor Michael Flynn. And so apparently uh, Flynn said that there wasn't a secure line of communication. So Kushner asked if they could communicate using the Russian embassy. And then Kislyak apparently said very quickly, no, that won't work. Uh, Kushner told Kislyak that he wanted to make sure he was speaking with people quote, who can make decisions, end quote. Yeah, and Symes had that uh, issue too. And it's of note that the reason I'm sure Kislyak didn't want to use the Russian embassy was because all of those calls are intercepted and listened to. Right. He's like, trust me, I know how to crime. This is not it. We're not going to go there. <laughs> um, so there's there's a bunch more just on that topic alone, but I'm going to gonna move on to the next thing. Um J.D. Gordon, he's a former foreign policy advisor. He gave a bunch of testimony, I guess, in the 302s uh, to to the FBI about how shady the Trump campaign was and how shady Trump himself was. So this is particularly satisfying to read. But he was a campaign advisor during during the election who never got paid, apparently. He said they said they were going to pay him for stuff, and then they just straight up never did. And I think that fact alone probably gives, you know, Trump his classic line of a disgruntled employee or whatever he's going to, if he ever even comments on it, would, would probably just fire back with something like that about Gordon. But he told Mueller's team that he was, quote, glad the interviewing agents were speaking with him as he believed there were a lot of shenanigans happening at the highest levels. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Shenanigans. Yes. And goings on. Yes. Gordon, he's he's a Navy vet, uh, former Pentagon spokesperson. He was uncharacteristically detailed, I guess, in in calling out the campaign. He said the Trump campaign was disorganized and chaotic at times, and he said it was important for the agents to understand that concept when conducting this investigation. That was based on... Did he say shenanigans? uh, Yeah, that's in quotes. Shenanigans happening at the highest levels. Oh, that's (laughs) so great. Like... well, with this tomfoolery and Balderall, <laughs> yes. I can't get past the brouhaha of the Trump campaign. Yes. It's just a big piece of bedlam hoo-ha 
uh, yeah. grab ass exactly. uh, shenanigans. Shenanigans and those kinds of words are the words you describe, you know, you, you give to a group of people that don't know what the fuck they're doing, but are still stirring shit up. They're like goofy ass words for a clown car of new politicians, just not not knowing what's happening, but trying to do self-serving things. It's complete shenanigans. Um, <laughs> he said... He said one of his complaints was that Hope Hicks lied about the contacts between the campaign and Russians. Uh, Gordon said he hoped, yeah, this is this is a quote from the summary. Gordon said he hoped the Russian investigation was very thorough. Gordon thinks Trump must be guilty of something. He is constantly ripping people off. Trump lies all the time and surrounds himself with people who don't tell the truth. Gordon explained Hicks had lied about contact with Russians. Gordon thinks she probably lied to protect Trump, whether she knew anything or not, end quote. So he fucking really laid into the campaign. Um, Yeah. He quit on August 10th, 2016, because of not getting paid, apparently. Um, and, And then one last thing from Gordon. He described the foreign policy team as being run like a sixth grade student council with no real authority or power. He also said that the last person to speak to Trump has the most influence on his decisions and that Jared Kushner mm. had a lot of say with Trump. So we've heard that from so <laughs> many sources, too, uh, that the last person who spoke to Trump is usually what, you know, the position he takes. Yes. Just the mark of someone with zero attention span and, and zero ability <laughs> to actually store information and weigh it appropriately. It's just who, mm-hmm. yeah, whoever's right there, whoever the 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 squeaky the squeaky wheel the squeaky wheel at the most present time apparently is uh what he listens to. Uh, moving on from that, again, there's there's a lot more juicy stuff in there that I encourage you to read up on. It's gonna be this is like mwah for the Mueller investigation fans. It's just circling back on <laughs> so many of these things that we were talking about and didn't have complete looks at and and now we're starting to see that and yeah it's really juicy is the best word i can use to describe it uh another thing we learned matthew miller he was a trump campaign aide he said that flynn set up a transition period call between trump and the afghan president using his contacts from his past work over in uh afghanistan so that's that's he apparently yeah uses connections to set up that phone call and a summary of Miller's interview with the FBI from October 2017 shows that he set up the call in December 2016 utilizing an ambassador contact that he had. So that's just something of note. I was wondering it doesn't go I don't know the legality of that like during transition period stuff. Do you know about exactly like what the rules are there or or like if you're supposed to technically go through separate channels to do that do you know that well technically it violates the logan act but that's just not something that people go after Mm -hmm. especially during transition uh i mean you know for example flynn calling kislyak and talking about sanctions you know, is that the bad part? Uh, not as bad as lying to the FBI and having the Russians know you lied to the FBI and being compromised. So you, there's no way you can be a national security advisor. Yeah. So it's you know, it, people sort of it's like, eh, it's the incoming, uh, you know, administration. It's lame duck session for Congress, et cetera. So 
it is technically illegal. Uh, also, one could consider would that be lobbying on behalf of a uh, foreign government right. without registering? I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I don't know what the technicality is for consider for something to be considered lobbying. Right. Uh, but, you know, we'll, so that would just have to be investigated. Yeah, especially when we think of, of Flynn's history of, you know, kind of stirring up deals with say Turkey, for example. So who knows what the hell he was <laughs> advising Trump to even talk to the Afghan president about. For all we know, it could have been some sketchy off-the-record shit. He's like, perfect, I'm going to get a head start on, on my shenanigans. Set up this call for you. <laughs> on my, <laughs> my tomfoolery. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, next, another highlight. Stone met with a Russian national named Henry Oknyansky. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. I have no idea. But he was also known as Henry Greenberg. He's, yeah, Russian national. Yes. yes. Uh, Russian- remember this guy? The weirdo guy? Though I, d- I sh- don't remember his name. I don't. I have to be honest. What? He's, does, ah. did, did he dress weird? He was just an odd guy. And, and yeah, I mean, he... he- <laughs> Uh, like I know, I know there were a couple people who met with him and and were like, because he was like, I have dirt, I have dirt, you come get dirt, and then he didn't have anything, and everyone's like, ah, oh, fuck that guy, just a weird guy. Yes, and so he apparently wanted to sell Stone that dirt on Clinton for two million dollars was the amount. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, and Stone was like, Trump's not paying two million dollars for anything. Uh, so oh no. yes, 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 I totally remember that. That that the, the remember him now? yes the Trump not being willing to spend that much money for anything I remember that very very <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes um a month after that was offered Mueller's team met with Greenberg at the special counsel's office uh, he told investigators he met with Stone and Michael Caputo in 2016 in May and he was joined at the meeting with his associate. From Ukraine, Alexei Razin. Is that how you say his name? R-A-S-I-N. Um, who offered Stone damaging information on Hillary Clinton. And then the summary states, Razin formerly worked for Clinton and was allegedly in possession of financial statements, which demonstrated her involvement in money laundering activities with Razin's companies. Stone inquired about the amount of financial misappropriations related to Clinton and asked if it was in the amount of millions. Razin relayed that it was rather somewhere in the amount of hundreds of thousands. Stone ultimately refuted the offer and said and stated that he did not believe Donald Trump. There we go. Oh, duh. Until I posted, I didn't even read this quote before, would pay for opposition research information. He did believe Trump would pay it. The meeting then concluded shortly thereafter. There we go. Mm -hmm. There's the whole thing. So, classic. Um, And then... I I know, yeah. And he was just a really, (laughs) just a really weird dude, you know? Yeah. I know we went over it in the Mueller report. It's in... Um, the the Mueller report episode from Mueller she wrote called part three of the Mueller report that we went over. It's God, he's in your, there. Your memory, it's um, insane. And there was uh, I think there was one other place uh, that we talked about him in episode sixty eight. Maybe I'll see if I can find it. Uh, and then next up, uh, an advisor said that he told Papadopoulos to shut up and not engage with Russia. That advisor was Sam Clovis, who we've talked about a lot. And I just like throwing this in there because it's funny to me. Um, But he apparently told 
told the FBI agents that he ordered Papadop to shut up and to not engage with Russia during the 2016 campaign. So <laughs> that's that's particularly satisfying to hear just based on, you know, Papadop's whole crying out of how he's been framed and it's like really because people within your own group were telling you to stop so probably you were doing the wrong thing you were probably uh hell bent on a bad look for for a long time so i just like <laughs> i just like anytime papa Doc gets slammed he's such a fucking idiot the worst yeah, I remember uh, I, t- I actually tweeted at Papadopoulos one time where, you know, he was b- just bitching about something on Twitter. And I just I, I replied to him. I said, I sure could go for a cup of coffee. And because, you know, Trump called him just a coffee boy. Mm-hmm. And he actually <laughs> replied to me with a picture of himself drinking a cup of coffee <laughs> saying, oh me God. too. <laughs> oh, what a troll. That's so funny. I know, I know. Psychopaths. I wanted to kind of give him a. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to give him a hug right then. Like, you're so cute. Yeah. I, well, I feel like there's like a, there's a sort of nonchalant nature that psychopaths react to accusations with, like very stone-like energy, you know? It's like an- antagonistically non-combative, if that paradox can exist. <laughs> it's like... It does. It does. Yeah. Ag- aggressively not caring. But obviously he cares so much because... Yeah, he responded to you. His wife. I remember I got in a Twitter tiff with his wife once, just when when um, forensic news was coming out. You know, with with all of this like evidence about her identity changing over time and her not being who she says she is, and she was firing back at everyone on Twitter like, "I am so who I say I am," <laughs> and just fucking fighting with everybody. It's like, how do you two? How do you two have the time to even do this? That's. Mm. Not a good look if you're uh, <laughs> running for office, just trolling people on the internet. I guess Matt Gates has found success with that, so maybe he's going after the Gates model. But there's so much other, yeah, we're we're already through the A block. But there there's so much other stuff. There's stuff in here about Manafort, um, about you know associates that testified. There was no doubt Manafort had met with Russian intelligence. There's stuff about Manafort turning down offers to to be like the official liaison of uh, Yanukovych and just stuff that nails stuff that's very akin to Rick Gates' testimony. Basically, just stuff that bolsters mm-hmm. everything that he was saying about Manafort and the extent of his ties and history with Ukraine. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's there's still a lot of redacted stuff. A lot of redacted stuff. But I think that's just going to yeah, continue. I noticed that too. Yeah. Um, there's there's also some stuff about Hannity tailoring his shows to the agenda Manafort suggested. That's in here. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty big. Um, yeah. Well, do you remember when um, we got the, the ma- we called him the manatee text? Yes, absolutely. The Manafort Hannity text? Yeah, totally. Them being mm-hmm. like, oh, poor me, I'm such a victim. And they're like, yeah, it's the fucking, you're a hero, man. All that shit. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. They're besties. Yeah, that's that's when they were doing that. Definitely. Well, yeah, I would recommend if anybody gets a chance to look at these that you should do that. Uh, it's it's pretty much, or, you know, I mean, if you've listened to Muller, she wrote since the beginning, we've we've covered it all uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on our other podcasts. So that is um, really great reporting. Thank you, Jordan, for all that. Do you have any final thoughts on it before before we get out of here? Um, not really. I mean, I think that was the sixth installment, right? 
ever ever since they started. They won that FOIA case, so it's just like amazing that we're able to get this stuff now. Um, I, it would be nice if it was less redacted, I guess, but still really cool. So definitely, if you're a Mueller nerd and Mueller junkie, which I'm sure you are, or else you probably wouldn't be here, definitely check it out. Yep, juicy. Good way to put it. All right, everybody, uh, we'll be right back after this with more headlines that have flown under the radar, so stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. If you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips out to the store and trying to avoid sold-out grocery stores during these quarantine days, I recommend trying Sunbasket. It's a perfect and tasty solution for the times we're living in. They deliver healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. Uh, I am paleo, and I order these meals, and it's absolutely amazing and totally convenient. I don't have to go to the store and uh, walk through seas of people who just don't feel like wearing masks. Uh, so Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient and safe with everything pre-portioned and ready to go to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, which is another huge thing for me because I am pretty strapped for time. So no matter how much you experience, experience you have in the kitchen, you can make these meals. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from. Uh, you can try dishes such as roasted salmon, uh, black bean tostadas, uh, Diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole. It's so delicious, and you can order from any recipes across their menu. You can skip a week if you need to or double up on your favorite ones. It's simple and easy with no gotchas. Uh, that's what I really appreciate about them. Very straightforward and transparent. And the facilities for Sunbasket have the highest level of food and employee safety. They're reinforcing strict adherence to the existing standards uh, that they have, increasing sanitization frequency in their distribution centers, and they do this to protect you and your family. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order. When you go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, so President Trump has fired the State Department Inspector General, General Steve Linick, Friday night, notifying Congress of the decision in a letter to the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Trump told Congress he no longer had full confidence in Linick, but did not provide an explanation as to why. Uh, a White House official said Trump fired Linick on Pompeo's recommendation. And of course, Linick is the inspector general for the State Department. So we would be looking into things that Pompeo was up to. A Democratic aide told NBC that Linick was scrutinizing Pompeo's alleged misuse of a political appointee to perform personal tasks for himself and his wife, Susan. Uh, Democratic lawmakers have launched an investigation into Linux's removal. Uh, you know, these inspectors general don't serve at the pleasure of the president. They're part of the executive branch. But in order to fire them, you do need to discuss it with Congress. You do need to inform Congress and, and, and give a reason why. And even Chuck Grassley was like, Donald Trump, you need to tell us why you want to fire this guy. Uh, he was pretty upset about it. But also what was interesting on Friday night, he also ousted the Inspector General of the Department of Transportation. And as we know, uh, Elaine Chow runs that department, and that's Mitch McConnell's wife. And she's got herself in some hot water with some personal business dealings as well. So now we have this slow-walking Friday night massacre of Inspectors General. It occurs every Friday, it seems. This past Friday was Linick and Department of Transportation, Linick from the State Department and the Department of Transportation Inspector General. May 1st was Christy Grimm, 
Um, the Health and Human Services Inspector General was ousted April 7th. That was Glenn Fine. And the Department of Defense Inspector General, uh, uh, I'm sorry, was Glenn Fine. Um, that he, Glenn Fine was the Department of Defense Inspector General. And then on April 3rd, of course, Atkinson, that's the Inspector General from the intelligence community who handed the Ukraine whistleblower complaint to Congress. Uh, we know Linick was investigating Pompeo's misconduct. Grimm, Christy Grimm, who was ousted, released a report about widespread and severe shortages of PPE. She was from Health and Human Services. Glenn Fine, Department of Defense, was tasked to provide oversight of who gets coronavirus stimulus money. And, of course, we know what Atkinson did to, to make Trump mad. He's the IC inspector general uh, involved in the impeachment, and Trump is forever impeached because of it. And now, of course, the House is investigating the firing of Linick. I will speak to Glenn Kirshner later on about why that matters. And from the New York Times uh, over the weekend, an innovative coronavirus testing program in the Seattle area that was piggybacking on their flu program up there. It was promoted by billionaire Bill Gates and local public health officials as it was a way of conducting wider surveillance on the invisible spread of the virus. That has been ordered by the federal government to stop its work pending additional reviews. The program involved sending home test kits to both healthy and sick people in the hopes of conducting the kind of widespread monitoring that could help communities safely reopen from lockdowns. Researchers and public health authorities already tested thousands of samples, finding dozens of previously undetected cases. And there uh, goes the, you know, I mean, that's the reason Trump wants this to end. Uh, there is no proof that Trump ordered the FDA to order the end of this program. We know how Trump feels about Bill Gates. A lot of these protesters that he, you know, that Trump stokes uh, out there who don't want to wear masks and want to get their hair cut real bad. They are, you know, chant, you know, Bill Gates, lock, you know, lock him up and et cetera. But this program had been operating under the authorization from the state of Washington, but was notified this week that now it needs approval directly from the federal government. And officials with the Food and Drug Administration told the partnership to cease its testing and reporting until the agency grants further approval. Trump doesn't want those numbers. He doesn't want to add to the uh, cases uh, of infection and death. And meanwhile, private companies have also rushed to promote at-home test kits. And the FDA approved the first one available for purchase April 1st. So we have a combination of privatization and profit and wanting to keep the numbers low and being, you know, being able to control the results of this testing, which Trump can't do if Bill Gates is funding it. And it's operated by a state and not him. And speaking of privatization of government agencies for profit from The Washington Post, as we feared, quote, weeks before a Republican donor and top White House ally becomes postmaster general, the U.S. Postal Service has begun a review of its package delivery contracts and uh, it and lost its second highest executive, which will leave its board of governors without any officials that predate the Trump administration. The moves, confirmed by six people with knowledge of the Postal Service's inner workings, but not authorized to speak publicly, underscore how Trump is moving closer to reshaping an independent agency he has dubbed as a joke. Uh, the, po the Postal Service in recent weeks has sought bids from consulting firms to reassess what it charges companies such as Amazon. UPS and FedEx to deliver products on their behalf, often in the last mile between the post office and the customer's home, and a lot of rural areas as well that UPS and FedEx doesn't deliver to. 
Higher package rates would cost shippers and online retailers billions of dollars. That cost would be definitely passed on to the consumer, and that is spurring them to invest in their own distribution networks instead of relying on the Postal Service. Uh, Trump has recently threatened to withhold a $10 billion line of credit approved by Congress in a coronavirus stimulus package unless the Postal Service quadruples what it charges to deliver packages. Independent analysts warn that such a change would devastate the agency, uh, which has increasingly relied on such deliveries for fast, you know, a fast-growing portion of its business. This is also has the added benefit of punishing Bezos, who owns Amazon, who owns the Washington Post that I'm reading this article from. And by the end of next month, every member of the agency's bipartisan governing board will be a Trump appointee at the USPS. Democratic Vice Chairman David Williams resigned April 30th, fed up with Trump's approach to the agency, and that's according to people familiar with his thinking. And Deputy Postmaster General Ronald Stroman submitted his resignation on the 8th of May. Stroman had years of experience working with congressional Democrats and had become the agency point man on vote-by-mail initiatives by the November election. There's another added benefit of privatization of the Postal Service, control over the election. Trump and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin have sought to attach terms to that $10 billion emergency loan to the Postal Service. Those terms will allow the administration to dictate packaging prices, uh, review and alter bulk discount contracts known as negotiated service agreements or NSAs. That's kind of the discount Amazon gets for, you know, shipping so much shit. And they want the uh, sole authority to appoint the next postmaster general and direct negotiations with labor unions. And uh, here's something interesting. We've heard it a thousand times. The cupboards were bare. The cupboards were bare when I took office. There was nothing there. Uh, well, I came across an article from NPR dated June 27th, 2016, seven months before Trump took office, that says otherwise. And it has the pictures to prove it. As heard on Morning Edition back in the day, quote, inside a secret government warehouse prepped for health catastrophes from Nell Greenfield Boyce. Quote, when Greg Burell tells people he's in charge of some secret government warehouse, he often gets asked if they're like the ones at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Ark of the Covenant gets packed away in a crate hidden forever. Well, no, not really, says Burell, who is the director of, pro of a program called the Strategic National Stockpile, SNS, at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And thousands of lives might someday depend on this stockpile, says Nell, Greenfield Boyce, back in the day. Uh, she says, which holds all kinds of medical supplies that officials would need in the wake of a terrorist attack with chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons. The location of these warehouses is secret. How many there are is secret, although former government officials recently said at a public meeting there are six of these warehouses. And exactly what's in them is a secret. Um, from This is from the NPR report. What he will reveal is how much of the stockpile is worth, or how much the stockpile is worth. Quote, we currently value the inventory at a little over $7 billion. And NPR got to visit one of the warehouses that Burrell described as this. He said, quote, if you envision, say, a super Walmart, stick two of those side by side, take out the drop ceiling, that's about the same kind of space we occupy in just one of these storage locations. And there are rows upon rows of ventilators that could keep sick or injured people breathing. Uh, Mabry explains uh, that they're kept in a constant state of readiness. Quote, if you look down uh, to the side, you'll see there's electrical outlets so they can be charged once a month. Not only that, the ventilators get sent out for yearly maintenance. 
In fact, everything here has to be inventoried once a year, and expiration dates have to be checked. Just tending to this vast stash costs a bundle. The stockpile program's budget is more than half a billion dollars a year. That went uh, by the wayside when Trump took office. As we've reported, uh, those, Trump let those maintenance contracts expire. Was caught sending broken ventilators to states way past their expiration dates. We also know that earlier this year, Trump sent 18 tons of our strategic national stockpile to China, who then sold some of that to Russia, who then sold some of it back to us. So they're laundering PPE. Press Secretary McEnany said she'd never lie to the American people, but her assertion that the cupboards were bare when Trump took office is not the truth. And two days ago, the British medical journal called The Lancet says Americans should oust President Trump from the White House and elect a leader who will support rather than undermine public health experts who are battling the COVID-19 pandemic. I I have a doctorate, uh, and I've been elbow deep in medical journals for the last 12 years. Um, And I've never seen uh, one of them write an op-ed about a world leader like this. This is truly incredible. The unsigned editorial sharply criticizes the Trump administration, saying it marginalized the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to a degree that is dangerous for the United States and the world. Quote, Americans must put a president in the White House come January 2021 who will understand that public health should not be guided by partisan politics. The administration is obsessed with magic bullets, vaccines, new medicines, or a hope that the virus will simply disappear. But only a steadfast reliance on basic public health principles like test, trace, and isolate will see the emergency brought to an end, and this requires an effective national public health strategy. The Lancet also asks what Rachel Maddow has been asking on her show over the past week. Hey, CDC, are you okay? The editorial is entitled Reviving the U.S. CDC, calling it a federal agency that was once, quote, the gold standard for global disease detection and control, but it has devolved into an ineffective and nominal advisor on the U.S. response to a disease that poses a public health threat of historic proportions. I highly recommend you check out this editorial. It's in The Lancet. It is, it is scathing. And a couple more notes here. Senator Kelly Loeffler has handed over documents to the Department of Justice regarding her stock trades prior to the cash or prior to the crash. But, of course, after she received those top secret briefings on coronavirus from the intelligence community, that the rest of us weren't privy to. Um, Lots of folks are saying that the FBI and Trump were targeting Burr, only Burr, because he was set to release the Senate and counter the Senate Intel counterintelligence report on Russia in the coming months. But it appears that Loeffler and even Dianne Feinstein were also paid visits by the FBI. I don't think there were search warrants executed like there were against Burr. Uh, And when asked if, um, you know, she had been contacted by the FBI, Loeffler refused to answer, which means yes. But yes, you're all right in that Trump hires criminals and blackmails them when they aren't loyal. That's that's what he does. So nobody can come out, you know, and defend Richard Burr's actions. He did it to Avenatti. He did it to Burr. He'll continue to do it. These are people. He, he's doing it to China right now. You, you, they're they're the bad guys. And if you defend it at all, then you're on China's side. If you defend Burr at all, you're you must be a Republican. He does this. This is by design. That's why we have to vote. The number's too big to manipulate. And finally, the Parnas and Fruman show has been pushed back until after the election. The judge presiding here approved a motion from both parties to push the entire shebang to next year amid coronavirus concerns. Take that as you will. 
Uh, but it looks like the end of next year, a year and a half from now, is when that trial will take place. Uh, we'll be right back with former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner to discuss more about the Flynn case and the inspectors general. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep, best mattress hands down in the universe. Uh, Like many people, I've had difficulty getting a good night's sleep from time to time. Uh, A lot of times it's stress, anxiety, politics, uh, guilty conscience. No, not for me, just for Trump. Uh, Global pandemics, though, I mean, there's a lot of anxiety. But night after night, if you find yourself having difficulty falling asleep or restlessly tossing and turning, I recommend checking out Helix Sleep. It could be a crap mattress that you have that's causing you to not be able to sleep. So I did, and I discovered my trouble sleeping came from a very common cause. I had the wrong mattress for the way that I sleep. There's nobody on the planet like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone? Helix Sleep customizes their mattress to fit you in the way you sleep the best. Uh, Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, I'm a hot sleeper, uh, or you like a plush bed or a firm bed, I like softs, I like softies. With Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. Uh, Helix Sleep matches your body and type uh, sleep type to the sleep preferences that you know to find the perfect mattress for you. It's custom. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix Sleep was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. I can see why. I absolutely am in love with mine. Best mattress I've ever had. Jordan says the same thing. Mandy says the same thing. Uh, And Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 sleeps. Risk-free. 100 nights. Um, Yeah, I don't know how many all-nighters you pull, but they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you will. I swear. Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $125 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former federal prosecutor and Army JAG, MSNBC legal analyst, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, happy to be with you. Awesome. So... Uh, first of all, uh, saw you on Joy Reid this morning. Excellent work. Uh, I appreciate you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Appreciate it. And now you and I have spoken a few times in the past month or so regarding the Flynn case and Barr's motion to dismiss the charges against him. And there has always been this recurring theme with you in these discussions. It's been your response to the assertion that, you know, no judge has ever not dismissed charges when the Department of Justice has asked them to. But as you point out, someone has to be the first. And since we've talked, we now have the call for amicus briefs by Judge Sullivan and the naming of Covington Burling and Judge John Gleason as amicus curiae or friends of the court. Is Sullivan poised, do you think, to be the first judge to deny a motion to dismiss from the Department of Justice, at least under these kinds of circumstances? I realize there are other um, situations in which, which they asked to dismiss charges, uh, but not, not like this. Yeah. And, and, you know, let me first say that there might be times where we would take a guilty plea. I was a prosecutor for 30 years. And then new information came to our attention that just so dramatically undermined the wisdom or the ethics of continuing to support that guilty plea that we might think about dismissing it. I cannot think of an instance in my 30 years where that has happened, but it could happen. This, of course, is not that case. So what Judge Sullivan has done is, you know, it's not exactly unprecedented reaching out to an independent lawyer, in a very real sense, an independent prosecutor, to come in and advise the court of, you know, what the prosecution's position would be 
if the prosecutors were actually doing their job of representing the interests of the people. Um, and so he has appointed John uh, Gleason, who, you know, is, is really well regarded. He was the prosecutor of John Gotti mm-hmm. when he was a when when um, Gleason was a federal a prosecutor and assistant U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York. Then he became a judge for more than 20 years, a federal district court judge in New York. I mean, the man's credentials are as impressive as they are impeccable. So, and here's the example that I've been using recently to try to explain what in the world is going on with Bill Barr and Mike Flynn. So every criminal case has two parties, not just the defendant whose rights need to be protected, absolutely. But you have the defendant represented by his defense attorneys and his defense team. Then you have the other party. It's the prosecutor representing the interests of the people of the United States. What happens when the people's representative, the prosecutor, migrates over to the defense team? Well, now we the people are unrepresented in this case. That's what Judge Sullivan has recognized. And he said, for gosh sakes, if Bill Barr, the prosecutor, is going to be on Mike Flynn's team, then the other party needs to be protected. Their interests need to be represented in this case. That's why he appointed John Gleason. And it's the exact right thing to do. Now, Judge Emmett Sullivan has done something like this before, more than 10 years ago, in the Senator Ted Stevens prosecution. Stevens was uh, uh, charged with some, you know, ethical violations and accepting gifts that he shouldn't have, et cetera, et cetera. And he was convicted. And Judge Sullivan was the presiding judge, and he got wind that the Department of Justice had engaged in unethical conduct by what's called hiding the Brady, by failing to turn over to Senator Stevens' defense attorneys the helpful exculpatory evidence that they are entitled to under our constitution. And you know what happened? Judge Sullivan said, not on my watch. Now in the Stevens case, Sullivan was representing the interest of the defendant in doing this. In the Flynn case, he's doing the exact same thing, but he's representing the interests of the American people because we don't have a a prosecutor to represent us in the Flynn case. And here's the other thing that I'll say. Um, when he appointed uh, Hank Schalke in the Ted Stevens case, was a well-regarded lawyer in D.C. criminal justice circles, to dig into the Department of Justice wrongdoing in the, in the Senator Stevens case, that case got dismissed, but Hank Schalke continued to investigate for a year afterwards and issued a scathing report. So even if Donald Trump tries to moot this thing out by pardoning Flynn, Guess what? Judge Sullivan might say, I don't care what you do. We are going to continue to dig into the corruption of Bill Barr's Department of Justice. So, you know what? Bill Barr may have bit off more than he can chew with with these shenanigans. Well, I hope so, because it's Flynn v. It's Barr v. Flynn, and it should be the United States v. Flynn. (laughs) And so uh, this, I think, is um, an interesting timeline also. On May 11th, Gleason wrote an op-ed urging Sullivan not to dismiss and ask for amicus briefs. The next day, Sullivan issued his order 
his minute order, where he went over the rules for for submitting to be amicus curiae and said, don't know shenanigans, mofos, like this isn't a free for all. And then the day after that, Sullivan ordered Gleason as an amicus curiae, and then shortly thereafter, followed by Covington Burling, which are Flynn's original lawyers, who the ones who drafted the plea agreement. So do you think that timeline suggests that Gleason and Sullivan may have been talking about this outside, uh, separately? I don't know if they have or they weren't. And I do know, of course, the Trump and Barr loyalists will yell and scream that, oh, my goodness, the fix is in because Gleason already expressed an opinion. But here's the thing. Gleason ain't a judge in this capacity. Gleason is a partisan. He's a prosecutor. He's the one who's going to uh, represent the interests of the American people in this case. So he doesn't have to be neutral and detached the way a judge would have to be or the way a juror would have to be if they were coming in. They would need to have no uh, they would need to have expressed no real opinion or interest in the case. Prosecutors, what we do we have an interest in the case, and the interest is following the facts, following the law, acting honorably and ethically, and winning a conviction on behalf of the people by holding the right person accountable for the crime. So you know what? The critics will yell and carp and moan, but all of that um, hopefully will not resonate. Um, so, you know, I have confidence Gleason will do a good job, will do an aggressive job. I mean, the man went after John Gotti and won a conviction. Uh, I'm convinced that he will be a good person to represent the interests of the people, because as you just said, this is not, this, this case became the United States versus Mike Flynn plus Bill Barr. Okay. And that can't, that can't be. Every day I stood up in court, I said, Glenn Kirshner for the United States. It was my job to represent the interests of the people, not the interests of the defendant. Yeah, or in this case, the interests of the president. Um, now, I, you know, and you're right. They're going to scream. The Trump loyalists are going to scream that Gleason was a Clinton judge. He's a Clinton judge. Uh, that'll happen. I know that uh, Waters, is that his name? Jeremy Waters or something like that was on Fox News calling Sullivan, an Obama judge, a, a Clinton judge, a liberal judge. But, um, you know, we had to point that out to him that that uh, Sullivan was nominated first by Reagan and then into his current position by George H.W. So um, it's it'll be an interesting uh, I'm glad Sullivan's the, the lawyer in this case. Uh, and we're also getting stories that Sullivan could be looking or he's signaling to that he might bring charges of perjury and or contempt in this case. Can you explain what that means in this context? Yeah, that gets a little tricky. So basically, the order by Judge Sullivan said, please do two things, John Gleason. One, I want you to see whether there's any earthly reason that the prosecutors should dismiss a knowing, voluntary, and intelligent guilty plea by Mike Flynn, because Lord knows we can't find any legitimate reason. But then the second thing he asked John Gleason to do is look into whether uh, Mike Flynn should be held in contempt of court for lying at the time of his guilty plea. Now, if we unpack that a little bit, I actually don't think that one is going to get a lot of traction. Here's why. Mike Flynn did not lie at the time of his guilty plea. Mike Flynn swore to tell the truth and said, I am guilty of lying to the FBI, Your Honor. That's the truth. That's not a lie. What, but, but 
you know what? This is Judge Sullivan trying to cram it down Mike Flynn's throat a little bit, legitimately, because if Mike Flynn is now going to stand up in court and say, no, I'm not guilty, and so when I said I was guilty before, Judge, I was lying to you, I was kind of playing games, well, if you really want to maintain that position, both things can't be true, so you either lie to the court then or you're lying to the court now. I happen to believe he's lying to the court now when he says he's innocent because when he told the court he was guilty under oath, he was he was telling the truth. He is guilty. Yeah, but was he lying then when he came back and told the court that he didn't lie or the FBI that he wanted to withdraw his guilty plea? I mean, if you say one thing to the court and then another thing to the court, one of those things has to be true and one of them has to be a lie. Could that be the perjury? Well, you know, the, the here's the thing, and I don't want to get down and way down into the legal weeds, but here's how he can navigate that terrain. And God forbid I'm giving him a blueprint. I'm sure he's got lawyers who have already told him this. You can go into court and say, yeah, I'm guilty of a 1001 violation. That's the federal code section of the charge that was brought against him. I'm, I'm guilty of, of lying to the FBI. And then later, but, but part of being guilty to lying to the FBI involves that what you told them that was untrue was material to what they were investigating. So actually a defendant could say, I lied to the FBI, but then later evidence could be developed that because his lie wasn't material, he may have thought he committed the crime of lying to the FBI, but the government really couldn't prove it because they couldn't prove all the elements. They couldn't prove materiality. So there is a cute legal way, mm. not, not an honest way or a truthful or an ethical way, but there's a cute legal way for Mike Flynn to be able to play both sides of that, that argument. Um, and I suspect that's what their lawyers will ultimately settle on. I don't think it's going to be a winning argument. Though. Right. That's the crux of the argument in the motion to dismiss. Uh, and so he didn't lie about lying. He didn't know about materiality or said that new evidence came to light that puts that in, in question. So and I think that um, the, you know, making Covington Burling uh, a friend of the court is going to be to establish the legitimacy of the guilty plea. Exactly. Which is, which is you know, at the, at the core of this. Do you have any guesses as who might also be named a friend of the court? Or was this specifically to get Gleason and Covington Burling on board? Because I, I, I know Bente and Jensen had some arguments uh, with the Flynn case behind the scenes, uh, Bente being the uh, legal counsel for the FBI, uh, etc. So is, is it the FBI? I think it's the FBI. Um, Dana Bente. I, I'm just wondering if you think that there'll be anybody else maybe... Uh, maybe Van Grack or Kravis. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So Van Grack is still with the federal government. So it's not going to be him. In my opinion, Kravis, unfortunately for Kravis, who I know well, he was one of, a, one of the homicide prosecutors that, that I worked with when I was a homicide guy in DC, you know, he's now gone over to the DC city government. Um, and I, I'm thrilled for the DC city government, but I really, um, couldn't be more um, angry, quite frankly, that the United States lost him because he was one of the premier public corruption prosecutors that we had not only in Washington, D.C., but in the country. Um, so, But I don't think it's going to be Kravis either because he's still a government employee, just now with another government. Um, but I do think Judge Sullivan, yeah, I, think, I think Amicus is wide open. I think lots of people will submit briefs, and I think it's simply 
which ones does the court want to accept? I have a feeling the court will accept, I don't want to say all comers, but quite a few, because in the absence of an assigned prosecutor in this case, because Bill Barr is not a legitimate prosecutor, and uh, Tim Shea, for gosh sake, Bill Barr's acolyte, He's not a legitimate prosecutor. He's a political appointee as well. There is literally and figuratively no career prosecutor on this case. There are two political hacks and no prosecutors. And those two political hacks have migrated over to the defense camp. So I think I think Sullivan will p- be pretty generous in the amicus briefs he accepts. Yeah. I'm I'm half expecting uh, Tim us to find out Tim Shea owns and and profits off of some Trump property somewhere. <laughs> like, uh, can I like, tell you this real quick? So t- Tim Shea's appointment is up on June second. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this because if you look at the American Oversight Organization, they sent a letter to the chief judge of the federal district court in D.C., Judge Beryl Howell, saying, "Hey, Judge Howell, you know, once Tim Shea's interim appointment as U.S. Attorney in D.C. expires, guess what?" You, Judge Howell, and members of the federal court in D.C. get to appoint the next interim U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. So stay tuned on that front, because unless Trump nominates and the Senate confirms a new U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, the federal district court judges, and that means Sullivan and Howell and Amy Berman Jackson and Reggie Walton and Jeff Boesberg and all the rest of them, We'll get to name the next interim U.S. attorney in D.C. <laughs> June 2nd is the deadline? June 2nd. Hold on tight. All right. That's awesome. And, and finally, what about the other charges that were not brought against Flynn because he was cooperating once upon a time? Nothing can be done about that, right? That, has to, that involves a, a grand jury, and uh, that would just be a bar situation. But this is the silver lining, because I think Flynn is, you know, he's in trouble one way or another. If Judge Sullivan holds hearings and ultimately decides that he has to dismiss the case against Mike Flynn, you know what happens? All of those other crimes that Mike Flynn committed, that he admitted to committing in his plea paperwork in this case, including false filings with the Department of Justice trying to hide his lobbying work on behalf of the Republic of Turkey, that he has admitted to that in his plea paperwork, all of those crimes can and should be brought against him in January when we have a law-abiding president and a law-enforcing attorney general. That will be available to the next administration if Judge Emmett Sullivan dismisses this case. If he refuses to dismiss the case and he sentences Flynn in accordance with his plea agreement, then all then the agreement that also includes, hey, if you plead guilty, we won't bring all these other charges against you, all these other crimes you committed, then unfortunately those crimes are probably lost to the next administration. Yeah, and um, statute of limitations, it, it, what starts the clock on that when he pleaded guilty to those crimes or when he failed to file as a foreign agent or when he committed the lobbying, which was mid-2016, I mean, that that's not a very long time for the new administration to to act. Agreed. I think we will have until at least 2022, a five-year statute of limitations. So I actually think all of those charges, if, if Judge Sullivan dismisses the case, all of those charges can still make it under the statute of limitations wire. I actually think it's worse for Flynn if he gets sentenced to a few months in prison today then if this case gets dismissed 
and tons of criminal charges are brought against him in January, all of which are very easily proven. Yeah, and guess what? Guess who's in charge of the new department uh, overseeing FARA violations at the Department of Justice? Yeah. It's it's Van Grack. That's right. Yeah. At, at, at least at the moment. At least at the moment, right? Yeah, he's there for now, hanging on by a thread. Probably why he won't be an amicus curiae in this case, so he can hold that position. And, you know, even if not, uh, this that sort of department was designed after, you know, because of Trump. Thanks, Trump. And uh, and I think that whoever, uh, you know, when Joe Biden is elected in November, uh, when he takes office in January, he will put Van Grack or someone of Van Grack's ilk in charge, back again in charge of uh, the FARA department uh, unit in within the Department of Justice. So I hope Biden brings a lot of these heroes, quite frankly, back. I have a YouTube channel now. And last night I felt compelled to post a video about, you know, today's heroes, the heroes of the Trump era. You know, and whether it's the Yovanovitches or the Binmans or the Dr. Fiona Hills or the Dr. Rick Brights or the Bill Taylors or the prosecution teams, both of them that walked off the Stone case, walked off the Flynn case. There are so dang many heroes out there. And I hope that they all come stampeding back to public service in January because, you know, we needed them now, but we'll need them again in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, one last question for the doom lords here. Uh, Congress now wants to investigate the firing of the inspector general to the State Department uh, that was looking into Pompeo. What do you say to those who might be saying, so what? I'm tired of the Democrats in the House, quote unquote, investigating anything. It never goes anywhere because many have lost faith in this system of checks and balances. Are we do we just hang on and wait until after the election or? go forward with these investigations as part of congressional duty. Yeah, I don't think Congress should be doing anything but fighting the coronavirus with whatever legislation they can and conducting oversight hearings into every crime, Trump, uh, every Trump crime and abuse, because that's all we got. We don't have a Department of Justice anymore willing to hold the executive branch accountable for its crime. So Congress is all we have. And you know what? If somebody keeps robbing your house over and over again, you don't just say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of fighting to hold the robber accountable. Let's just wait until we move and he can have whatever he wants until... You know, it, 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 it needs to be investigated because Trump keeps saying, well, I've lo- I'm losing confidence in every inspector general. Well, he's losing confidence in them because they're going to expose his corruption. <laughs> And he doesn't want that to happen, so he's, he's lost confidence in them, and he wants lackeys in place. He's losing his confidence that they won't that won't leave him alone. That's that's what it is. I'm losing my confidence that they will cover up my crimes. Yeah, well, we're I think we're all just Sisyphus at this point, waiting on November. But these these investigations are important and should go forward. All right, thanks so much, uh, everybody. Um, former federal prosecutor, gosh, twenty five plus years, uh, most of them at the uh, D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. Former JAG Army lawyer uh, and MSNBC legal analyst. Tell tell everyone where they can find you, please. So I have you know, born of frustration because, you know, the, the cable news and I, I love NBC and MSNBC with all my heart and always will. And I remain their legal analyst and as long as they'll have me. 
but you know the coverage has been 24/7 on coronavirus so the legal analysis work is kind of slipping under the radar screen and as a result the public is not really getting a full appreciation of the crimes that Trump is you know continues to perpetrate so born of frustration i started my own youtube channel so i would love for people to go on um, you, my YouTube is just my name, Glenn Kirshner, and I basically post a video, a crime a day, and we're going to need a bigger week to fit them all in, but a crime a day, and they can um, watch the videos, and um, hopefully that they, they will resonate. I talk in layman's talk because I'm a gutter kid from Jersey, and I don't try not to talk like a lawyer if I can help it, um, and they can also follow me on Twitter, which is Glenn Kirshner, too, but YouTube is just my name, Glenn Kirshner. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Glenn Kirshner. And we appreciate your time today. And please uh, take take care of yourself. Have a great week. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up next, we have the good news block with Mandy Reader. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by thezebra.com. Uh, look, our driving habits have changed since uh, coronavirus, since the pandemic. We aren't driving nearly as much. It's time to reassess your auto insurance needs. Everyone's trying to be more frugal and conserve resources. And even before this happened, um, Americans were overpaying on car insurance by like an estimated $21 billion per year. Uh, and oftentimes, searching for a better deal, it takes hours. You have to call salespeople. They're all pushy. Then you get a bunch of unwanted spam calls and emails. But not anymore, thanks to thezebra.com. They make comparing rates safer and easier. You can save up to $675 a year using thezebra.com. Thezebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site because it is the only place you can compare quotes side-by-side from over 100 providers and choose the best one for you in 90 seconds or less. And thezebra.com is an unbiased, independent service. It allows you to compare rates from hundreds of insurance providers, including all the top companies, and you can do it all in one place. And they will never sell your information to the spammers. That means no scummy spam emails or annoying unwanted calls from pushy salespeople. You just answer a few simple questions on a fast form, and they find the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch calls the Zebra kayak for auto insurance, and Time says the Zebra is your best bet to compare car insurance rates across companies. Not everyone who uses the Zebra finds a lower rate, but those who do save an average of $368 per year. And the best part is it's completely free, with no spam. There's no risk. Uh, I know we could all use the extra cash right now, so check it out. Go to thezebra.com and find out how much you can save on car and home insurance. Go today and start saving at thezebra.com slash dailybeans. That's thezebra.com slash dailybeans, spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. All right. So today, to start it off, to kick it off, before we get to our listener good news and our quarantine confessions, uh, I do have a little bit of good news. Jerry Nadler uh, made an appearance uh, this over the weekend, I think Friday, and uh, he did on, I, th- I think it was CNN or MSNBC, one of the two. And he said that they are going to demand that uh, Bill Barr testify on June 9th. Uh, he was supposed to testify March 31st, but as we know, because of COVID concerns, the courts closed, so he didn't testify um, I'm sorry, not the courts, uh, the House, because um, he, you know, testified in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, so they're going to do it June 9th. And June 9th is the first day that um, they're back opened up, uh, as, unless it's postponed again. And Nadler said that they are willing to use their full powers of contempt and, and subpoena powers if he refuses to show up. And also, they he said that, um, you know, they have power of the purse in Congress, and he'll defund the AG's office if he doesn't show up. Holy shit. <laughs> I know. Wow. 
And yet, and yet, all of that, all of that, um, all of that, and I still don't think that he'll show up. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's the sad part. It's like they can say whatever they want, and they can and they can be as firm as they want, but I, 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 these people don't care. No, exactly. And unless they use inherent contempt and and send the the sergeant at arms out to fucking grab the motherfucker, they have to go through the Department of Justice anyway to enforce a contempt order. So it that would be Barr who wouldn't do that to himself. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if they if they use the power of the purse though. I'm so I'm interested, uh, and we'll know sooner rather than later. That's only, you know, let's see, uh, what do we got? Fifteen plus. Nine twenty-four days from now, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's in less than a month, so at least we'll know soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, especially I love it, especially if it's later in the summer. Uh, all right, so what sort of good news stories do we have from our listeners? We have some. Thank you guys so much for sending them in. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, the first one I love is <laughs> from Tim Osborne. I missed this story, but it's a link to an article back from um, about mid-April when Spain was in the harshest part of their lockdown. Um, a lot of European countries had lockdowns where, you know, it's like they monitored. You can leave your house once a day for exercise or sometimes not even that. But apparently um, some citizens in Spain during the during the strictest part of the lockdown uh, were allowed to walk their pets. So, so a guy walked his goldfish, took his goldfish ball out on a walk. <laughs> As an exemption to the rule, and there's a picture of it. <laughs> we'll have to send that out in the newsletter this week. Oh God, it's so funny. I mean, that's that's fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> congratulations, sir. Very creative. Yes, nice. Well done. Well done. This is my pet invisible friend that I'm walking <laughs> today. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, the next one, a little bit more serious than taking your goldfish for a walk. This is from Anonymous. And this one, um, for obvious reasons, touched my heart. Uh, and Anonymous says, My 16-year-old daughter who came out a few years ago as a lesbian has been doing research to educate herself on gay rights and has come to me many times completely shocked at the lack of basic rights and the legal discrimination policies that are in place for gay people. We have been having many political discussions as of late, and she wanted to know what she can do to make things better. I told her since she isn't old enough to vote yet, she can volunteer to make phone calls, knock on doors for candidates uh, who will fight for the rights of minorities. She is now looking into all local, city, state, and Biden campaign offices that she could possibly help with. Her enthusiasm mm. to, help, to help and to do her part make these important changes incredible. Um, to, to, sorry, uh, let me redo that one. Her enthusiasm to help do her part to make these important changes is incredible and makes me so proud to be her mom. I have hope for the future because I know she isn't the only person in her generation <clears throat> that is motivated to make this country better for everyone. Wow. That sort of, that reminds me of um, the commencement speech Obama gave on Saturday mm -hmm. for hashtag graduate together where he said, you know, y'all are turning 18 now. Y'all can vote. You're going to shape this uh, this world and you're going to be our future mm -hmm. leaders. And um, that was a very hopeful message. He, he also mm -hmm. said this uh, right after uh, Trump was elected. He appeared on Pod Save America, uh, Obama did, and said, look, we're mm -hmm. going to have this wave of young people just washing over the country. And that's what that's what the audacity of hope means to him and so to to just hear that story is just so wonderful and you know big ups to to going out there and getting it done you know you can't vote yet but you will soon and so mm -hmm. we really we really appreciate your hard work 
Yeah, and I've taken down your email, by the way, Anonymous, and I'm going to send you an email because I, I want to share a story with you about the exact same experience that I had when I was younger, when I was coming out, and I was like, oh, holy shit, I am illegal in so many places, <laughs> and I am, I am so discriminated against, and you know, to 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 be to be fair, it's a it's a very white privileged experience. Um, I know a lot of people who who grow up with other um, disadvantages in society face discrimination at a younger age. But for me, you know, coming out for me was the first time I realized the level of legal discrimination that exists. And um, yeah, it's a uh, it wakes you up to a lot of stuff and it puts a lot of fight into you. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the next one is from Sarah. And Sarah says, my good news is that I began my PhD in marine geochemistry, okay, smarty pants, uh, (laughs) last fall, and I had an expedition uh, to sample water and study it off the coast of West Africa in April that I was really looking forward to. It was obviously canceled, and I was really bummed. This week, though, I learned that our trip had been successfully resubmitted, and we will be doing our science later this year. By the way, climate and environmental science, so important right now. Thank you. Uh, it will be a shorter time, a shorter trip, and there's new restrictions, like I'm forced to have a single cabin now. Oh, no, not my own room. But I do get the, to do the work and collect my samples. My project has been on a bit of a hiatus, so this really helped me focus again and feel like it's moving forward and feel positive. Thank you so much for all you guys do. Awesome. Yay. Congrats, Sarah. All right. This is from uh, also Anonymous. Anonymous says, I just wanted to give you some hope with my city of Lansing, Michigan being shown in the news for protests. I don't know where these people are driving from, but the only people I see in Lansing are out in the stores wearing masks and staying six feet from each other. I was laughing to myself when it was thundering and pouring rain and those protesters were outside on Thursday. Thank you for everything you do to make us laugh and keep us informed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, what do you have against staying at home in the rain? Like, <laughs> stay I home know. in the rain. I like, uh, I can't remember who I can't remember who tweeted it, but they said, you know, people who say go big or go home really underestimate my desire to go home. <laughs> oh my God, right? <laughs> right now, with my current energy levels, go big or go home, go home. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's pretty much all I think about on a constant basis is when do I get to go home. <laughs> Um, All right, this is the next one from Jan. Jan says, my son co-owns a mom and pop restaurant. This week they announced that when they reopen and going forward, they will be paying all of their wait staff 15 bucks an hour. Uh, This will be partially passed on to the consumer in the form of a hospitality fee instead of requesting tips. The community has really rallied around this idea and people are posting on the Facebook page that they will be patronizing the restaurant with much more frequency due to this decision. Awesome. Hell yes. Treat yes. employees well and yes. your customers and, will follow. And, yeah, and, and don't underestimate the, the giving power of the public either. You're, I bet you're going to see that $15 an hour plus the same tips that everyone gave anyway. At least I know that that's how I would treat it. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'm I always amazed at at the the public's willingness to rise to the occasion and support you know our, our, our frontline workers and our middle class, mm-hmm. our working class. So congratulations on that. That's really great. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Um, This is the last one for good news today. Uh, Very relevant to us, AG. From Scotty. In Animal Crossing, my turnips (laughs) finally hit a high sell price spike. Fuck yeah. My girlfriend and I sold our turnips for a collective 3 million bells of profit 
and are now building those expensive bridges and inclines all over the island. We also let a bunch of our friends visit our island to sell their turnips, too. So now we're all happy billionaires. Billionaires. Oh, I love it. I hadn't heard the term billionaires yet. That's amazing. Um <laughs> And uh, it's it, you know it's good to to be able to be a billionaire somewhere, uh, and so Animal Crossing <laughs> allows us uh, to be you know the elite. And uh, by the way, we have just started a Daily Beans Discord mm-hmm. for those of our listeners who also play Animal Crossing, and we share turnip prices, and we invite people over to islands to help water flowers for hybrids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give away free you know extra DIYs. And uh, I've already, somebody made me a crown. That was adorable. And I went and I picked that up yesterday. And it's just been so much fun. It's a great resource um, for stuff that mm-hmm. you don't have, stuff that you want. And uh, so so check it out. What how, how do they find it, Mandy? So I have posted it. I've posted it on Patreon. If you're a patron, you'll see it there. Uh, it's been posted on Muller She Wrote Twitter, on the Daily Beans Twitter, on the Facebook pages, in the Facebook group. If for some reason you cannot find the link, you can either email Amanda at Muller She Wrote or you can DM us on Twitter and we will send you the link. But uh, it's been posted all over the place and on Instagram. It's been posted on our Instagram as well. So uh, yeah. if you can't find it, let us know. And and here's the the way we're doing it. Under normal circumstances, this would be a patron perk. But because of COVID-19, we understand that not everybody can afford to be a patron. We see you and uh, you're just, please join our Discord. Uh, We're making it open to the public. And if you're able to become a patron, Mm -hmm. it's as little as three bucks a month. You get these episodes early and ad-free. You get thank you gifts. You get bonus content, access to the Discord, the newsletter. I mean, you get so much. Mm Mm-hmm. Our Discord, I should point out, is a politics-free zone. We like to keep it cute and peaceful in our Animal Crossing Discord. If you would like to discuss politics, you can do so in our uh, patron Facebook group where we have, uh, it's a politics zone in there. Yep, so we're keeping the politics out of it. Uh, Unless it's Animal Crossing politics, you know, Tom Nook can can be a bit of a slumlord, so, you know. I mean, how much is he charging for those house extensions? Uh, I'm still paying off uh, a $2.49 million, million bell loan um, <laughs> for my basement. But yeah, I, I I wanted to open this up to be free for everyone because I know that a, a lot of folks just can't afford to, to subscribe uh, to a premium feed right now. So please join us on that Discord. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it is time for Quarantine Confessions. So this week on Quarantine Confessions, uh, the first one is from Anonymous. Love your name, Anonymous. Um, (laughs) Bad joke, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) My job is super dull and super evil, about as evil as it could be in the current climate. I take people's homes from them. That does suck, but you got to make a buck, I guess. Uh, so I am slow. So I'm slow rolling my employer on everything, finding silly criticisms of the work product and making the server run really slowly. All the while, I am working from home to fill the time I should be working each day. I am watching a different genre of porn and writing nice things to the people who made it. It might not be my personal taste in porn, but if I see something that someone has put a lot of effort or talent or love into, <laughs> I want them to know that their work has value. 
Unlike mine, my work has no value. My employer is now paying me to make adult performers have a better day. Also a reminder, pay for your porn. It is a valuable industry. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. That's awesome. Like, hey, I- I'm I'm not into uh, water sports, but A for effort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a lot of passion. Yeah, um, or P-, P-, P for passion. Get it? P. Ha <laughs> <laughs> P for passion. Episode name, maybe? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it does have value, especially all of you working from home right now, watching more porn. Pay pay your sex workers. Next mm-hmm. confession. Uh, by the way, some this the theme for this week's was was bad haircuts. I guess where it's about reached that time. So the next few are about hair. Um, this is from Keela. Keela says, after weeks of quarantine, my husband gave himself a haircut. Me, having no filter, exclaimed, you Buttigieg'd yourself. My husband doesn't follow. (laughs) I know what that means. So do I. Do you remember that haircut that Justin gave him? Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God. (laughs) You Buttigieg'd yourself. My husband doesn't follow politics like I do and had no idea what I was talking about. Needless to say, he was miffed when I explained his haircut looked like the cut that Chasten gave Pete that was awkwardly short. Later that night, after having some wine and watching a comedy, I laughed extra hard while looking again at my husband's haircut. He had no idea why. (laughs) You just have to mask it by watching comedies all the time. (laughs) No, honey, I'm laughing at the I'm laughing at the movie. It's a funny movie. Oh God, your hair. You've been Buddha judged. That's another great episode <laughs> title. You Buddha judged yourself. You Buddha judged uh, yourself. <laughs> Let that live on. That's so great. Uh, and of of course, big love to 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 Pete, Mayor Pete, and his wonderful husband. Uh, but that was really really funny. And then he made oh, a TV God. appearance right after. I'm like, no, no. Oh God, no. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm letting my hair get really feral during quarantine. I do not trust myself. I was I was young and angsty and artsy, and I gave myself so many bad DIY haircuts, and I'm scarred forever. I can't I can't go there again. <laughs> uh, well, as you as you age, you know, once you're you know once you approach fifty, uh, one year of your life seems a lot shorter than when it does when you're thirty. So I think you uh-huh. can go a lot. I think you can go a lot longer. Uh, yeah, before you cut your hair again. So I yeah. fortunately, right before quarantine, I started growing out my grays and my bangs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm already at the point where I can tuck my bangs behind my ears. I don't have to clip them back anymore. And I'm letting the gray grow out. So here we are. Perfect timing. I mean, I, you know, if anything serendipitous about that, it's 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 a it's a bonus. It's you know, it's not a whole reason to start a pandemic. But, um, you know, it's it's working out well. Dude, eventually at some point in the future, hair salons and nail salons and beauty sort of, you know, venues of various places, they're going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be getting some work, <laughs> especially everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm feral, yep. please help me. Okay, <laughs> from Sarah. <laughs> Sarah says, my confession, I cut my own hair and for some reason thought it would be a great idea to also give myself bangs. It was not. I now look like a frizzy Dee Dee Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, do you know who Dee Dee Ramon is? 
I do. I do. Okay. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to have to give a, an, ex, an explanation of Dee Dee Ramone, but no. I do know who that is. I, I do know who that is. Uh, you underestimate you underestimate me in terms of music. I have lived with Joelle for a, for a while now. She has given me an education. Yeah. And to be fair, your parents are my age, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. The funny thing about our relationship is like I'm my I'm dating, dating, married to a Gen Xer, but my parents are also Gen Xers because they had me young. So there's this funny kind of thing where Joelle goes, you probably know what that is because you're younger than me. But I'm like, yeah, but my parents are your age. So I do actually. I bet she loves when you say that. She does. It's her favorite thing in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> By the way, hi, mom. My mom listens to the show and hi, mom. Um, uh, hi, mom. Thanks for the work that you do, by the way. Thank you. I know you're a frontline healthcare worker, so thank you. Uh, um, all right. Uh, Sarah says, in penance, I have increased my patron amount to your show. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> we accept your penance. So wait. So when people Buddha judge themselves, they have to give us more money? I mean, that sounds fine to me. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Oh God! Okay, uh, we'll call it. We'll Jane... call it. Um, we'll call it the Chastin tax. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! This is it's funny. Speaking of Chastin, he first of all, he seems like the kind of guy you'd see at big gay brunch on a Sunday morning. This morning, I was I missed gay brunch so badly that I was like dancing around the living room to George Michael's "Freedom" while eating my bagel. I was like, "This is how bad I miss gay brunch." Um, <laughs> Just to give you a visual. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, we have, uh, I think we have time for one more confession. What do we, what do we have? All right. So let's see. Oh, here's one. Um, we'll, we'll go back to the other ones. We have more haircutting ones for next week, folks. Um, this is the last one from Anonymous. This is both good news and confession. Confession. I've been a longtime listener of both your shows, but I haven't actually read the Mueller report. I know. <gasps> I know. We well, didn't have to. You didn't have to because you listened to the show. So, well, then they say, uh, "Good news! I just bought a paperback copy, and I'm planning on re-listening to all of your podcasts while I read it. I even have colored pens and pretty sticky notes. It seems like a lot of shit is going to hit the fan in the next few months, and I want to be prepared. Thank you so much for this fabulous resource and for all of your good humor, kind vibes, and swears." Well, note, note then, producer's note, back la- about a year ago, last, uh, when, the, when the Mueller report came out um, in April, we did a 19-part series in, in the Mueller She Wrote show uh, where mm-hmm. we went through the Mueller report line by line. So I would just go there. It's all in that 19-part series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you go back through the episodes and you're looking for specific, specifically where we dig into it line by line, you can just, they're labeled like Mueller Report Part 1, Mueller Report Part 2, and yeah, um, that that should help you out. But that's so cool. It's it's really rad that this is, that you've created this resource, AG, for people to like, hmm. you know, in like you said, last year you were like, I hope that in the future people can use this to, when they're trying to learn more about it, and it is already happening. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, some amazing things happened, you know, over time. I know that there's a professor at University of California, San Francisco, who uses our 19-part Mueller Report series to teach class. And uh, I also know that um, somebody had sent us an anonymous uh, piece of good news that that they got into the Daily Beans because their therapist recommended it to them because it was a it was a. A, a way to consume the news that didn't make you, you know, want to, ha- you know, have massive anxiety attacks. So I, I feel so 
humbled and proud that you know we're, we're we've become part of of the lexicon and we're you know we're known for reporting the news in a way that doesn't freak you out. People fall asleep to us. Yeah, very very cool. It's it's it is it's been an honor to to get to know all of the fans, and I'm so glad that you know it it's meaningful to people in that way. It's it was so funny the other day discussing on on Twitter people who were like, I fall asleep to it too. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, you know. Whatever works. Thanks, everybody, for submitting your confessions. Uh, Mandy, where can they do that? You can submit your confessions. Uh, we are actually adding the link to the contact page on mullershirot.com slash contact later today. But uh, if it's not there when you – if it's not up yet, you can find it. Our, it's our pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod. Um, you can find it there. And I've shared it on, on Patreon several times and in the Facebook group. If you can't find us, if you can't find it, let us know. But the two places you can find it are the pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod and soon to be on the contact page of our website. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Amanda. It's been wonderful talking to you. Everybody out there, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. Been Mandy Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>